So I've got to put my money where my mouth is. Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel, always on air, always online at crusadechannel.com. Let's go to the Skype Maker Hotline and uh, say hello. I did not actually check to make sure that... What? <laughs> yeah. I did not actually check to make sure, but it looks like Brother Andre Marie should be able to hear me. And he is live at St. Benedict Center, the home of the upcoming St. Benedict Center Conference, uh, October 8th and 9th, uh, where I will be your MC, MC, and also a presenter along with David Simpson and John Sharp and Brother Andre and Sister Maria Philomena and Joe Doyle. Um, uh, it's a great event. You don't want to miss it. It's a great event every year. We look forward to it. Put it on our calendar every year. You should try and make it this year, especially in this environment. You need all the close friends, and so do I, that we can get. So go to Catholicism.org, and you'll see it at the top of the page. Just click the St. Benedict Center conference link, and then make plans to be there October 8th or 9th, or be square. Hey, brother, I made a rhyme. I I was impressed, Mike. Very impressed. <laughs> Uh, are you impressed that I was able to move the entire radio station in the span of six hours and get it back on air? That's pretty darn impressive. That is impressive. <laughs> even better even better than the Ryan that you stole from somebody else. I didn't steal it from someone else. Come on, that's an original Be There or Be Square. No one ever thought of that before. Huh? Oh, okay. Wink, wink. I guess, I, <laughs> I guess I'm having an ancestral remembrance or something crazy. So, uh, uh, brother, uh, for your web hosting services, uh, you, you published some pretty radical stuff. Have uh, you had any issues with, uh, with, with, with any uh, threats of deplatforming? And you don't have to mention no. any names. I'm just curious. No, no. We use, it, we use a platform called Liquid Web, and um, it's pretty good. It's pretty robust, and we've never had problems with them. Although, although, as you know, because we've, we've had some conversation about this, I've thought of migrating elsewhere, Switzerland or um, your, 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 your Thai American expat, maybe. I don't know. But, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that, it, that is of concern for me. But as you know, a migration of a whole website is a lot. We've got, we've got buckets of stuff there. I mean, you have more because you have all these heavy – you know, media files that we don't have, but still we, we do have media files cause we have our store. So we've got not only, we've got a WordPress website, plus we've got, uh, a, uh, CS card bookstore. Our bookstore is very involved. Yes. Our bookstore is way too big to be a WordPress bookstore. So we've got that Russian, it's a Russian platform, um, CS card. Uh, I would rather go Russian than I would American these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, it, let, let me just be specific. The, the plat, the, 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 uh, CS cart, which is a, which is, um, uh, sh you know, shopping cart software is Russian designed and it's quite good. It's, it's an incredible, incredibly robust, um, back end, uh, much better than like the WordPress store, which was kind of something that the WordPress folks thought to add to WordPress. But I don't think WordPress is meant to do anywhere near the the volume that CS Card can handle. It's massive. Yeah, there's a we could do an entire Wisdom Wednesday on high tech Wisdom Wednesday <laughs> on that subject. Um, <clears throat> it ought to just though uh, be on everyone's radar screen, and everyone should be aware 
of uh, just uh, how many people, thousands and tens of thousands of people that kind of have some or part of their livelihoods tied up in uh, uh, in websites. And if people being being able to reach them through uh, through through websites, and uh, if you do, there's a very good chance one of the bigs has uh, some carte blanche over your hosting. Uh, and of course, you know, you know, Pridebook is making a, a a name for itself these days. On uh, it's just actively out there searching every day. Or people are faster than people can form groups to communicate. You know, little chat groups and information groups and what have you. Uh, Pridebook can cancel those groups just as fast. I truly, other than for just pure communication purposes, like it's the only telegraph wire between here and your mother uh, that you can use in the Pony Express. Press doesn't work anymore. I really don't know why anyone is on any either any of those services. Uh, you're just playing with fire and with the bad guys. It doesn't make you a bad guy to do it, but just be uh, uh, just be in the knowledge that at any point in time whoop, they pull the plug and that communication avenue is over. Which is why you should all make plans to do things in person. Like go to the St. Benedict Center conference because br brother is not going to deplatform the conference. That's right. We have hey, br uh, brother, I'm getting some uh, some feedback. Are you are you still there? I think brother is uh, brother. You there? Yeah, I think uh, I think his uh, connection ended. Eight four four five two seven eight seven two three. Wait for brother uh, uh, Andre. There he is. He called right back. No, uh, I don't think anybody called in and bumped you. It just sounded like your connection was going awry. I heard a funky Skype sound. I heard the the, the ding ding sound, the doo 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 sound, and then I got bumped. I don't know. I don't have anyone scheduled. I wouldn't double book like that. <laughs> well, I mean, that doesn't mean somebody wouldn't call in. Mike. Oh, brother, believe me, I don't put anything past anyone. Uh, all right, let's get back to where we were, uh, that you should. we should all meet in person at places like the St. Benedict Center Conference because it can't be deplatformed. That's right. That's right. It can't be. Um, we're... we're um no, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna have it. We're gonna have it live. We're gonna you know we're gonna have real people here. The only digital element to it will be Charles Coulomb's presentation because he's in Austria and uh, we can't uh, you know miraculously transport him there when they were under lockdown, which I assume they're gonna be under any day now. So we just didn't even plan to have him here in person. It's so and it's it's th this. Well, we'll t we we can talk about the lockdown too. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, <clears throat> this will never end. If you don't put an end to it, if, if governments or if people don't just go like, okay, I'm done with this. If you don't just put an end to it and go like, okay, yeah, uh, there's a sickness out there. Okay, fine. Gary, there was a sickness out there before this. I could have gotten the flu before all of this. I could have gotten pneumonia before all of this. Have you, have you seen about the uh, protests all across Europe? They're massive. I know that the protests in France kind of ignited some protest in Germany. Uh, the, uh, the, the Netherlands, um, where else? Uh, th there were several places in Europe that had massive protests, massive. In some cases, the French, they outnumbered the police. They ran the police off. When, the, when these French people went into this mall, they, uh, the police came in to get them out in riot gear, and the people just surrounded them and ran them up the escalator. 
I guess the French, <laughs> I guess the French police decided not to shoot at people. You know, they had guns, but they had to, you know, somebody made a decision. It might look bad if we shot people who were protesting COVID lockdowns, you know, and, and vaccine mask requirements. Uh, what a glorious sight it would have been to see, especially today's French police chased by unmasked French, uh, French hoi polloi up an escalator <laughs> to seek refuge. No, I did not see that. But uh, then again, uh, uh, for the last nine days, we were in a house where you know, we were all under strict instructions. None of us were watching any videos. Because uh -huh. because because there was no bandwidth. You you you, uh, you watch you a video go. and boom, the Crusade Channel goes down. So uh, I, I actually I didn't know any internet. I <laughs> I actually rather enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, I I guess so. That's why you sound uh, rested and relaxed, even though you've been working like a mad dog. Getting, I, the, getting the network back up. I am rested uh, and uh, relaxed. Um, and that brings me to our rested and relaxed conversation for today of the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, uh, and how was it that you put it in the, uh, uh, the signal chat? Maria um, uh, Bambino? Uh, Maria Bambina, which is Italian. The, 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 the baby Mary, the, you know, Bambina is, is a, a little girl baby. Uh, so the Italians call her Maria Bambina. So this is the feast of Maria Bambina in Italy. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you got to hear earlier, but I was connecting uh, yesterday on the uh, the vigil of the nativity of the, the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Buttigieg's uh, took their photographs and showed the world the product of someone else's giving birth and then their human trafficking and taking possession of those children. And uh, my comment was that I don't believe in coincidences. This clown is from South Bend, Indiana. His incriminations and his abominations against the Holy Family and against St. Joseph are uh, well known and documented on this show. And he just tried to one-up himself yesterday. Uh, I, I don't know why he didn't wait till today, to the real feast day, to, to make the announcement. But uh, uh, <clears throat> there are so many abominations against motherhood and certainly then that is, is a uh, an abomination and incrimination against the blessed mother um, who for all the ages of Christendom gives uh, gives us the greatest example gives women and men the greatest example uh, to, to live by um, uh, in her maternity of our blessed Lord of course today, we celebrate her actual nativity, born to St. Joachim. Do you say Joachim or do you say Joaquim? Well, Joaquin is Spanish, like Joaquin Phoenix, but uh, Joachim is English. Okay. So it depends on what language you're saying it. Joachim would be the Latin because you don't say the J sound, the hard J in Latin. It's like an I. Okay. Joachim. Okay, so Joachim and of course Saint Anne. And um it's a it's a, it's a beautiful uh, feast day. Um and it comes of course 9 months to the day after the feast of the Immaculate Conception. So the the calendar days are correct, 
Brother, uh, you can take this wherever you want. What would you like to talk about on this feast day? We haven't done a Wisdom Wednesday on this one. Oh, I, I guess we haven't. Uh, well, you know, I was praying the breviary this morning. I was praying the office of matins. Uh, by the way, we went to mass today. We have daily mass again now in the local parish. So we're going to have daily mass for the conference. Yes. So that's good. Yes. Yeah, that's a long story, and I don't want to get into it now. But, yeah, we've got it. It's close by. It's in the local parish. And the priest who's there is a friend of ours. That's just amazing. This French priest who you will like if you get to meet him. Um, well, let's make sure that that happens. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, uh, Mittis O'Connell and I will be there two days early and, and at least a day or two after. So we'll have ample opportunity to meet said. Priest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. You'll you'll like uh, Father Hugues Belgrand. He's a he's a Frenchman from Brittany, and he's a, he's a, he was a French paratrooper before he joined the priesthood, and uh, he's the pioneer priest of the Institute of the Good Shepherd in this country, which is a French um, uh, Society of Apostolic Life. They were given the parish. In fact, today, canonically, the, um, the, uh, he's, he's going to be made a pastor Friday officially. And uh, today, the rectory was officially erected canonically as a house of the Institute of the Good Shepherd. So this is kind of interesting. Um, lo lots to that that we probably shouldn't talk about uh, on air, <laughs> but um, it's a good thing. Let me just um, to say quickly that Sir Charles and I went to Bretagne in France. We, okay. We spent a day in that region of France. Uh, uh, Charles can tell you all about it. Or I can tell you all about it. They oh. have their own language. In fact, they have two languages. They do. People. They're Celt. They're, they have two languages. They have uh, Gallo, and they have uh, the the Britain dial the, the Britain language, which is actually Celtic. It's a it's an insular Celtic language that uh, is the, is the result of British people, probably Cornish. Because the language is closely related to in the British Isles is the Cornish language, uh, that um, that they they migrated across the Channel and ended up in Brittany, and um, uh, and and there so you've got Celtic peoples there. They're 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 different. You know, everybody thinks well French are French. Well, yeah, right. I mean, first of all, no. French are Germans. French are Germans. I mean, that's what Frank means. It was a Frankish tribe. They were Germ the the Frankish were a Germanic tribe. But then you've got all these different language groups and different uh, ethnic groups in France, like Normandy. That's completely different because they're yep. from they're Vikings. You know, they're descended from Vikings that invaded that area. Then you've got, uh, but in Brittany, you've got very rugged people who are basically Celtic peoples. And then you've got the Gal the Gallo speakers who speak this weird kind of French that's got a lot of Latin in it, uh, a lot more Latin in it than regular French. But um, uh, but anyway, Father Bogrand is a rip. You'll 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 get to like him. Um, so actually, what I'm where where I would like to go with the feast of of of, of Our Lady's Nativity. Say this is an ancient feast. This isn't anything particularly new. Um, and uh, even though it's a, uh, ranked uh, in the sixty two rubrics as a second class feast, it's important. Um, it goes back to you know, St. Augustine preached the sermon on this feast, and that sermon is actually in the office of Matins for uh, today's divine office for this feast. So I just want to highlight a couple of things that St. Augustine said that I think is is important, and, and uh, St. Augustine and then St. Jerome, so two of the great Latin uh, fathers of the church— the other two being St. Gregory the Great and St. Ambrose, who round off that list of the four great Latin doctors. Um, so here, here's St. Augustine. Let, let me see. I don't want to read the whole thing, but let me. Um, so there's a lot of Eve versus Mary com comparison. 
Uh, oh, what the heck? Why don't I read the whole thing? It's short. Um, Dearly beloved brethren, the day for which we have longed, the feast day of the blessed and worshipful and ever-Virgin Mary, that day is come. Let our land laugh and sing with merriment, bathed in the glory of this great virgin's rising. She is the flower of the fields which, uh, which the, on which the priceless lily of the valleys hath blossomed. She is, is, this is she, excuse me, whose delivery changed the nature that we draw from our first parents and cleansed away their offense. At her, that dolorous sentence, which was pronounced over Eve, ended its course uh, to her it was never said, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. She brought forth a child, even the Lord, but she brought him forth not in sorrow, but in joy. So the the ancient um, Eve-Mary typology is found here big time in St. Augustine. He keeps going. Eve wept, but Mary laughed. Eve's womb was big with tears, but Mary's womb was big with gladness. Eve gave birth to a sinner. But Mary gave birth to the sinless one. The mother of our race brought punishment into the world, but the mother of our Lord brought salvation into the world. Eve was the foundress of sin, but Mary was the foundress of righteousness. Eve welcomed death, but Mary helped life. Eve smote, but Mary healed. For Eve's disobedience, Mary offered obedience, and for Eve's unbelief, Mary offered faith. It's Pretty cool so far, huh? So can I just ask a question? So when St. Augustine says that uh, uh, Eve uh, did uh, whatever he said and then Mary brought forth in joy, is he referring directly to virgin birth? That she had he's no pain. She had no labor pain. Okay, so he's referring to the fact that she had, you know, he's obviously he's talking about our Lord's birth from her at that point when he's okay. talking about uh, uh, it's not it's not told her that in sorrow she will bring forth uh, her, her child. Um, yeah, she was an exception. By the way, that's an ancient doctrine that people overlook. I mean, you know, the, uh, was it Fellini? No, it wasn't Fellini. I forget the director. There was some director who who made what was supposed to have been a fantastic movie of the life of Christ, and it shows the Blessed Virgin. And he was a Catholic. He was a convert to Catholicism. And one of the first things he did after he converted was he made a Life of Christ film. He should have waited a bit and learned some stuff. <laughs> but he's got Eve having birth pains. Well, that's extremely offensive. I mean, the, I mean, excuse me, he has Mary, Our Lady, having birth pangs. Uh, Our Lady had no birth pangs. Uh, she gave, she, she did not give birth in pain. Now, Protestants mock that, but it's an ancient patristic doctrine. It's, it's, it's ancient in the church. Um, it's a fact. And then I've seen Protestants attack the fact, well, you say that the woman of Genesis, of, of the Apocalypse, you know, the woman of Revelations, uh, chapter 12 is the, is, is the Blessed Virgin, but that woman's got birth pangs. Well, yeah, that's true. And if you look at it, it's not talking about the birth of our Lord. It's talking about the birth of the church. You know, she's the mother of the church as well. And she gave birth to us at the foot of the cross. You know, she gave birth to the sinless one uh, without the pangs of childbirth. But at the foot of the cross, when our Lord's side is pierced and the church is born out of his open side as Eve was born on the open side of Adam. Well, then Our Lady is giving birth to her problem children. That's the rest of us, right? She really is our mother spiritually. So at that point, yeah, she suffers pain, but not the pangs of literal childbirth that she, you know, that she was spared when she gave birth to our Lord. 
But anyway, he's he's talking about all this on the Feast of Our Lady's Nativity. Um, I mean, we don't know much about Our Lady's Nativity itself. You know, when Saint Anne gave birth to the Blessed Virgin, we don't. There's nothing that's been revealed that she was delivered in a painless childbirth. Is there, there wouldn't be any reason for it, really, because St. Anne was conceived in sin. I mean, St. Anne herself was conceived in sin. We're not talking about a sinless line that Our Lady came from. Um, now, in fact, we have to believe that St. Anne was, was conceived in sin, uh, just like we have to believe that St. Joseph was conceived in sin, because Our Lady, because when, when uh, Pope Pius the Ninth defined the Immaculate Conception, he said it was a singular and unique privilege. Right. Now, brother, um, not to interject controversy in this, but I love uh, Michael Hess's book, uh, Mary of Nazareth. Um, and I don't know what your take on it is, but he draws some of the, he tries to fill some of these gaps in, in his narrative by using the proto-gospel of St. James or proto-work, whatever you wish to call it. Proto-evangelium. Yes, James, thank yeah. you, or St. James. Which, is, which means proto-gospel. Um, so, um, and there is some, uh, not, not necessarily of the birth, but we do have some of the history or some of the life of a very young Mary of Nazareth, daughter of Joachim and Anne. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, well, that's not, I mean, that's, so St. John Damascene used uh, the Proto-Evangelium of James. I mean, he insisted that Our Lady's mother and father were Anna and Joachim, and that's, it's the Proto-Evangelium of James that gives us the, the, the names of Anna and Joachim. Oh, okay. So not all apocryphal books are evil, right? I mean, they're clearly the Proto-Evangelium of James is apocryphal, um, but um, it's not like the Gospel of Thomas, which is, which is Gnostic uh, nonsense, the Gospel of Thomas is totally fake. It was a Gnostic invention. The Proto-Evangelium of James is probably just some repository of authentic early traditions that came down through the church. So that's that. You know, the, 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 that's the nature of apocryphal books. They're not all evil, and not all of them, you know, pretended to be inspired. So. Um, anyway, so St. Augustine continues. The last third of the excerpt of his sermon is here again, and, he, and he's still contrasting um, Eve and Mary. Let Mary now make a loud noise upon the organ, and between its quick notes, let the rattling of the mother's timbrel be heard. Let the gladsome choirs sing with her, and their sweet hymns mingle with the chanting, changing music. Hearken to what a song her timbrel will make accompaniment. She saith, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And he actually gives like most of the Magnificat here, which I we don't need to read that. And then he continues, the new miracle of Mary's delivery hath effaced the curse of the frail blacks backslider. That's Eve. She's the frail backslider. And the singing of Mary hath silenced the wailing of Eve. So that's a neat thing. So, I mean, you know, we should believe that Mary sang the Magnificat. It wasn't something she just recited. So when she said it, when, when she first, when it made its premiere, its <laughs> at, premiere. Uh, the visit, <laughs> at the visitation, uh, she would have sung it. It's a song. Uh, and uh, therefore, um, it's a canticle. You know, so therefore, uh, St. Augustine's contrasting Mary's singing with uh, with Eve's uh, wailing, which I, th you know, that's beautiful. That's just, that's, that's, uh, that's poetic. You know, that's a, that's a, a wonderful literary flair that St. Augustine, who was a wonderful Roman rhetor before he became a, 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 a Christian, before he was baptized, he was a rhetor, a, a, a rhetorician. So he's 
applying his art wonderfully to this to this typology of Mary and he, Eve. He was a raider for the emperor, wasn't he? No, no. Oh, no, he, he wasn't. He, he, taught, he taught rhetoric. He studied rhetoric in uh, in Rome and, and in Milan, and um, he taught it in Milan. Um, that's how he, you know, he ended up in Milan. Um, okay, so they, em I mean, they embellished the story a little bit in the movie Restless Heart then. Well, the the emperor would have been in Milan at the time, so I don't. I, I suppose it's not because keep in mind, um, uh, Saint Ambrose had that run in with Theodosius, uh, Emperor Theodosius, and that happened in Milan. So the emperor did was resident in Milan. So it's not unheard of uh, uh, that Saint Augustine, or it's not out of uh, possibility, realm of possibility that Saint right. Augustine would have had some interaction with the emperor. I'm just unaware that it actually okay. happened. Fair enough. Brother Roger and Maria um, of the St. Benedict Center on our Skype Maker Hotline here on Wisdom Wednesday. We are today uh, learning of and discussing the Feast of the uh, Nativity of the BVM. If you're not a Catholic, that stands for Blessed Virgin Mary. It is a beautiful, wonderful Marian High Feast Day. And uh, Brother was reading from a sermon that St. Augustine, my patron saint and confirmation saint, uh, gave on the subject. I ever tell you I have a relic of St. Augustine's. Father, Father Damien gave it to me. Cool. Yeah, we got one too. Okay, so I don't need to bring mine with me then. So it's, <laughs> it's, I don't need to, to come and say, "Hey, brother, I'll see your Saint Augustine, and I'll see you. Uh, I'll up you one Saint Luke." <laughs> well, if you have if you have a Benedict and Scholastica, we need those. We I we, have we a need, Benedict. Yeah. It's, uh, no, you're kidding. You have a Saint, relic of Saint Benedict. Uh, it's what someone says is Saint Benedict. You got the papers? Uh, I never opened it up, and the guy that sent it to me did not give me the relic of the paper. Maggie O'Connell has a squirrel away here. Well, don't right open here. up the relic. No, you, no. You, you break that seal, and it's and it's off. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, uh, uh, we need a St. Benedict and a St. Scholastica but, uh, for our altar. But uh, we've got all of our other four patrons, uh, St. Louis, St. Therese, St. Um, uh, John of the Cross, and St. Teresa of Avila. But we need St. Benedict and St. Scholastica. Uh, anyway, so as I was saying, Mike, there's, a, there's a, um, another sermon that's excerpted for the uh, Office of Matins for uh, today's feast day. And that's the commentary on the gospel. Now, you, know, you, you would notice if you'd had a chance to go to Mass today, if you just cracked open your missile for today's feast, that uh, the, the gospel uh, is the generation of our Lord. It's um, the uh, gospel from St. Matthew, uh, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and so on, right? So you get, the, you get this um, gene genealogy of our Lord. St. August, St. Jerome, rather, says some very interesting things here that are worth pondering. He begins by saying, in Isaiah, meaning Isaiah is the prophet, we read, who shall declare his generation? So this is Isaiah is the prophet speaking of the Messiah, and he asks this rhetorical question as if to say his generation, this is me talking here, not St. Jerome, as if to say his generation is unfathomable. We cannot, we cannot... Uh, declare it because it's something, it's an eternal mystery, right? So St. Jerome very artfully compares the generation given in the gospel of our Lord with Isaiah's question about who shall declare his generation. 
Let us not think, he says, that there is any contradiction between the prophet and the evangelist, because the prophet saith that this thing cannot be done, and the evangelist begin beginneth by doing it. <laughs> the one speaketh of the generation of the divine word by the eternal father, the other of the family in which the incarnation took place. Matthew beginneth with carnal things, that by learning of men we may go on to learn of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, so then he, he points out that, that but that the prophet is talking about not, not the uh, carnal generation of our Lord, the, that is to say the bodily generation of our Lord, the corporeal generation, but rather the uh, eternal generation of the logos from the Father. You know, who can declare that? This is a, this is a great mystery, the generation of our Lord in eternity from the bosom of the Father. So I thought that was a wonderful thing worth mentioning. There's another n- nifty little bit in St. Jerome's sermon here. He points out that, generally speaking, women are never mentioned in, the gene- in genealogies, in Jewish genealogies. There are two notable exceptions uh, in this particular thing. Uh, there's a there's a man named Judas in the um, in 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 our Lord's generation. It's not obviously it's not Judas the apostle, right? Um, he it, it's uh, and Judas begot Phares of Zara and Thamar. He he's he's giving the name of the woman here, and then later on we get King David's grandmother Ruth, who, after whom the Bible, the book of the Bible, Ruth is named and about whom that book is. Um, she's named too. Now, what's creepy, now we're not going to go into Zara and Thamar, but what's creepy about Ruth, I mean, say creepy, Ruth was a Moabitess. Now, if you know anything about the Moabites and the Ammonites, you know that there's something creepy there. The Moabites and the Ammonites were forbidden to go into the temple. The Jews, the God actually forbade the Moabites and the Ammonites from ever going into the temple. Why? Well, Moab and Ammon are descended from Lot's daughters. If you if you're familiar with the Book of Genesis, you'll know that Lot's daughters gave birth to Lot's children, right? So they thought the world was ending when when Sodom and Gomorrah were being destroyed, and they got dad drunk, and each of them got um, uh, pregnant by their father. So there, so because the Moabites and the Ammonites, and by the way, the name they named their children. One named the child Moab, and the other Ammon. These are these are reversals of the same word, Moab Ammon. Uh, my means something like my child is my father's and my father is my uh, my my father's is my child something like that. So it's a direct reference to their incest, and the Moabites and the Ammonites were products of incest. Incest, of course, is unnatural and it's heinous, and it was a particularly filthy and vile thing to the Jews, um, as is appropriate. So the Moabites and the Ammonites are considered people who were were, were dirty and gross. And they couldn't be let in the temple. Yet Ruth was a Moabitess. And we get this story of Ruth in the Old Testament of what a beautiful, wonderful, holy woman she was. And she's the mother of King David, which grandmother of King David, which means she fits in the genealogy of our Lord. St. Jerome points out that this is specially mentioned in order. Let me quote him exactly. Okay. 
uh, so that I don't I don't lose it here. He who came to save sinners was born of sinners that he might wash away all sin. Afterwards, yeah, okay, that's it. That that that's the, yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, Bathsheba also figures into this lineage, and she was the she was the um, <laughs> she was the wife of King David. But King David not only committed adultery with her when she was another man's wife, Uriah the Hittite. I was going to say she was your, she was Uriah's wife, right? <clears throat> That's right. And so, so King David, remember what, what occasion, so, sorry, I got to shut up that stupid phone. What occasion, it's Sister Mary Philomena calling, uh, <laughs> what, what occasion that particular thing, uh, sorry, Mike, I got to turn this blasted thing off. I got, yeah, there you go. I, I just, I just killed the ringer. It's Sister Maria Philomena, just conference her in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just see you're on the air. I'm oh. sure she could add to the conversation, no doubt. <laughs> um but yes yeah, so, so uh king david you know what occasion psalm 50 the miserere one of the one of the seven penitential psalms was king david's double sin two, two of the worst sins one can commit you know the other one's apostasy those are the three biggies in the early church adultery murder and apostasy were the three sins that g- give you the biggest penances and uh, he did two of those three. He, he committed adultery first, then murder. And uh, that occasion, Psalm 50, uh, when, when Nathan the prophet uh, confronted him and, uh, and said, or the man, you know, after giving him this parable that, that made David indignant. Um, so anyway, that, uh, it's interesting that our Lord's human genealogy has all this filth in it, you know, so a certain species of, 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 uh, Manichaean or Puritan would think that's icky. You know, Christ could never have come from sinners. Well, he, he did. I mean, he did. Now he wasn't born of a sinner. He was born of somebody. He was born as St. Paul says in Galatians in the fullness of time. And what is that fullness of time? It's the Blessed Virgin. She she was immaculately conceived. You know, nine months ago today, she was immaculately conceived so that she could be born today as the sinless, uncursed earth from which would be drawn the new Adam. In the Old Testament, Adam was drawn out of an uncursed earth, right? He right. Was, he's, he's from the earth. He's drawn out of the earth, from the clay of the earth. Um. And, of course, Eve's drawn out of his side, right? Well, Christ is born out of the uncursed earth of the Blessed Virgin Mary's body. And the church, his bride, is drawn out of her side, out of his side, rather, uh, on the cross, as I already referred to earlier, with the church being born uh, our ladies there sorrowing at the at the foot of the cross. Our Lord suffering his agony on the cross, and then he dies. And while he's dead, his side is pierced, and the blood and water flow forth. Which all the fathers say that's a reference to the church being born in the water of baptism and the blood of the Eucharist. And not only that, 
but there's a typology there with Noah's Ark too that St. Mm. Augustine goes into. Right. So, br brother, is it uh, uh, for those listening uh, who may be unfamiliar with this subject? So, is it uh, fair to say then that Our Lady, being uh, immaculate, uh, the immac the uh, as she told Saint Bernadette, I am the immaculate conception. That she is the immaculate conception. That she brings an end to that sinful line that you mentioned. And then she then, therefore, being sinless, can then bring forth the, the, the of course, born without original sin because he, he is God, uh, uh, our Lord. Yeah, well, uh, th there's... Is that what he's saying, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, well he inter she interrupts the flow interrupts okay right okay that's what so, I. so mean. uh um there, there's actually a passage you know that that our lady is sort of the, the ark of the new covenant yep there's the ark of the covenant in, in the in the old testament i wrote an article on this you probably i probably talked about it too much already but um there, there's a there's a beautiful passage in the in the old testament when they're crossing you, everybody knows about the crossing uh, through the Red Sea, dry shod, you know, in the Exodus. But there's another crossing into the Holy Land. And this is very important in the Ark Mary typology. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the people have to cross over what to get into, the, into, into Jerusalem? Um, they have to cross over the Jordan, the Jordan River. And when they're going to pass over into the Jordan River, by the way, in the same exact spot where St. John the Baptist later would be baptizing, a very important symbol of something. Wow. When they're crossing into the River Jordan, crossing rather into, into the Holy Land, not just the Holy Land, but Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is, from the river into Judea, from the River Jordan, through the River Jordan— they, they, you know, it's a river. They can't ford it. There's no bridge or anything. So they send the priests who hold the Ark of the Covenant, who as soon as they set their feet in the river, the river stops flowing. Now, so the water that's come to that point just keeps going downstream, and the water that's above it in the flow simply stops, and it piles up and piles up and piles up and piles up and piles up. And piles up while the people are walking across the riverbed and the priests have to stay there in the river in you know holding the water back as it were with the power of the ark then when everybody's through into judea uh the priests cross over and the water flows back now the water piled up to the, a, a city whose name was adam <laughs> eight yeah, Adam. Very close. There's a slight different spelling in English, anyway. But in other words, the sin that came, the flow that came down from Adam stopped when the ark set foot in that in that stream. Or I, the stream I, was interrupted. I hope our listeners are getting this and not just jawboning on endlessly in the chat room because this is some interesting and fascinating stuff I never heard. Uh, I'm sitting here taking notes with Brother Andre Marie. What so? Th what book is this found in? If people want to read it, the story. Um, it, th uh, this would be in. Uh, eh, is it the Book of Joshua? Is it? Or it's either Exodus or. or uh, uh, I want to say it's. I, I want to say it's in Joshua. It's in the early book of jo early in the Book of Joshua. Okay. Um, uh, but don't quote me on that. Um, 
There's a, there's a piece that I wrote years ago. Uh, it was published on the website in 2006, but I think I wrote it before that. It's called The Ark of the New Covenant, and it's all about the Ark Mary typology. And uh, it's, it's definitely in there. Um, so I just threw a link to that article uh, in the chat room. Oh, okay. I was going to put Mrs. O'Connell on my number one crack researcher, but since you already put it in there, uh, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Uh, okay, brother. Uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, it. it, uh, it, it I, I think, by the way, it was. Uh, yeah, it's Joshua chapter three. Okay, I found it. I was right. <laughs> Go figure. Um, so th th this is a this is a beautiful thing. It, it she stops the, in, the the flow of sin, and then of course the people go into the, the Holy Land. Now, I by the way, just to complete a thought that I mentioned earlier and and didn't complete. It's very important that St. John the Baptist was baptizing in that same spot because what they did when they crossed over, they took a bunch of stones. They made a pile of stones, one for each of the 12 tribes. They had just piles of 12 stones that they put in the Jordan, marking the spot and sort of making a testimony to the miracle that God had worked there. Well, later on when John is speaking and um, – the, the Pharisees come to him and ask him what he's doing, and there's this official embassy from, from the Sanhedrin trying to figure out who the heck this John guy is because he's doing stuff that makes him look like he might be the Messiah. And they ask him three questions, and he says, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not he who is to come, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But he, he points out, he said, he says as he's preaching to them, he's excoriating them for not doing penance. And he says, I tell you, do, do not say that you are children of Abraham, because I tell you, God can raise up of these very stones, children of Abraham. Now, that was a spot that had some famous stones in it. So that's that's my point in bringing that up. St. John was most probably referring to those stones that were still there marking the spot of the crossing of the people into the into the holy land. And by the way, when you when 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 John is baptizing, Jesus comes to him later and Jesus gets baptized and what happens? The institution of the sacrament of baptism takes place then and there. This is why Jesus tells John, no, baptize me, because it behooveth us to fulfill all justice. Mm. So that justice is going to be made not just an Old Testament thing. It's going to be a New Testament thing now with this Christian sacrament, which is going to make you not only somebody who's in the state of grace as a child of the old law, but in the state of grace as a child of the new law with all kinds of other things added onto it, like membership in the church, like entitlement to the Blessed Eucharist and so forth. Now, what 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 the, so then we see there's another typology at work here that spot where the jews went from uh, a land of exile you know the, where they complete the exodus they went from egypt which symbolizes sin into the holy land which symbolizes heaven that very spot where they crossed over into the holy of holies, as it were, of the of the land, and and went into that place which symbolizes blessedness, the 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 in heaven. That very spot is where the sacrament of baptism was instituted. And you could still go there today. Then the rocks are still there, correct? I don't know if those particular rocks are still there. I I cannot say. By the mm. way, I have to say. There are uh, multiple places that claim to be. I think there are two places that claim to be where 
John uh, baptized our Lord. No. no. Um, so I'm not. I'm not. I've never been to the Holy Land, and I'm not an expert on these things. From but. the point of uh, a point of clarification or interest, uh, brother, you just mentioned that Egypt is sin, and uh, the uh, Israel is. How did you say it? Egypt is is sin or evil? And what's on the other side of the Jordan? Uh, well, the Holy Lands. Uh, okay, mean, so you, you cross from it. from uh, uh, from evil. Um, isn't it? Was it Brother Francis that says every time you see Egypt in the Bible that there that's a reference to evil or to hell? Um, then why? Uh, I know this is not a. a, a this is probably something for for Christmas and for Advent. Why then does the Holy Family go into Egypt? To flee Herod. Well, Egypt, it's it's kind of in a way, it's like the ultimate exile. So so oh, so the we, ultimate so, exile. So the ultimate. Let, let right. me just, let me just say let me just say this first of all. Zionists Zionists screw this stuff up royally. I even heard Scott Hahn, who's supposed to be a Catholic, saying something. Well, he is a Catholic. I don't want to be unjust. Saying something stupid about this, I think it's a throwback to his Protestant uh, heresy uh, from the old days. But uh, you know, w w Egypt was a symbol of sin in the Old Testament. It's absolutely clear. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, the the, the um, there's no doubt about it. The way that it's spoken of in Holy Scripture, okay, in the Old Testament. Um, but that doesn't mean that Egyptians today are cursed, right? So there are lots of people who are cursed in the Old Testament who received all kinds of blessings. So the children of Cain are cursed. And unless you're a racist and you say that the curse is that they were made black, and that's who the Afri black Africans are. And by the way, black Africans are descended from Cain. Um, that does not mean that that curse abides today. It absolutely does not. So uh, uh, I want to make it really clear that this is not a justification for what the Zionists do to, to Egyptians or to any other um, Arabs. Uh, um, uh, the ancient Egyptians are not Arabs, but current inhabitants of Egypt are, have Arabic blood in them after the Arab, Arab conquest. But uh, so that, that being said, I always have to throw that caveat in there because people have this way of, oh, the Palestinians are cursed, you know, because they descended from this group or that group's cursed because they descended from that group. No, no. Unbelief is a curse. The Jews are in the curse of unbelief. The Muslims are in the curse of unbelief. Baptism lifts the curse. Faith lifts the curse. Well, there you go. So let's not let's not be Zionists here. There's two and, episodes and, of Reconquest on this, correct? Yes, yes, sir. There are. I don't remember the numbers, but it's all about the Schofield Bible. I do know that because you and I talk about it seemingly on every Marian feast day. We talk about it. Um, yes. Uh, there's two episodes that you can go to CrusadeChannel.com, or if you can't find it there, you go to Reconquest.net. Brother will, if you search for Zion, uh, you will find those two episodes, and then you can go to CrusadeChannel.com because they're all there under uh, the archive tab under Shows Brother uh, Reconquest. You will yeah, find. I link directly to every every um, episode. Yeah, I, I link directly to every episode on on the um, Crusade Channel websites. And and those two episodes are just packed, <laughs> just packed. Actually, I have three. I have three episodes. Oh, is it three? That, well, there were the two that I did back to back as my own solo shows, and then I had one with Robertson Jenis. Now, now, uh, uh, before people start, you know, booing, Robertson Jenis uh, uh, is a very brilliant guy, and he's right about an awful lot of stuff. 
he's wrong about some things too, like Fatima and some other stuff. Uh, even the Jews. I mean, when it comes to, he says that the Jews aren't going to have a mass conversion at the end of the world. I'm like, yeah, but that's what all the fathers say. It's like, yeah, they're wrong. Well, okay, I guess I have nothing more to say to you. <laughs> what an irony, though. He says all the fathers are correct when it comes to Genesis. Yeah, I, yeah, really. I, I just, I, I don't get it. But anyway, it's okay. called. We called it the, the immaterial. The the, the oxymoron of Catholic Zionism, because he had written something really good about Catholic so-called Catholic Zionism. Um, but anyway, all of those shows get into it. And Zionism, it's, it's really a mega heresy. It's not just a little thing. It's huge because in the United States of America, a lot of Catholics are infected by some of the errors of our of our uh, uh, separated brethren who are also our co uh not co-religionists, but our, our our fellow Americans, who are um, right about a lot of stuff, but because of the Schofield Bible, because of a concerted effort to get American, British, and American Protestants on the side of the uh, Jewish takeover of Palestine, there was a reinterpretation of much of the Old Testament. And which would have been considered heretical to John Calvin and Martin Luther, by the way. Zionism would have been considered grotesquely heretical to them. Um, the uh, Because there are so many of our fellow Americans who have embraced this nonsense from the Schofield Bible, a lot of ca – and, and they're called – you know, these are the conservatives that you always make fun of. Conservatives. Exactly. Yep. So the conservatives have to be all for Zionism. It's, it's like – it's part of it. You know, have a bellicose foreign policy, preferably for, for Israel – and, you know, oh, it's our biggest ally in the region, they tell us. Making lots of money for the military-industrial complex as we go along, because that's patriotic, too. Um, all that stuff's part and parcel of, of Zionism. And because that's that's labeled as conservative, conservative Catholics think, oh, well, that's part of my creed. I have to accept that. Well, no, you don't. Actually, it runs counter to Catholic teaching about the nature of the Old Testament and the nature of the Old Covenant. And can I just uh, point out that my friend and I, and um, a friend of the Crusade Channel and someone I know that you know of, uh, Hugh Owen, the founder of the St. Maximilian Kolbe Center, says in some of the uh, <clears throat> some of the foundations restored, and in some of his writings on the Kolbe Center about cre about uh, creationism, he says he gives props out. He goes uh, to our American Catholic brethren, who while Catholics fled the doctrine of creation in Genesis, our Protestant brethren, to their eternal or to their credit, stood the ground. They filled the breach, and in many cases, and they, uh, and, and many of them never wavered. Uh, unlike many Catholics who uh, who did and bought into his uh, evolution. By the way, brother, you give me so many good rec reading recommendations. Uh, I wish to give you one, and maybe you already have it. But I just started it. I'm 30 pages in, and I'm going like, this is th th this is a treatise against evolution. It's G.K. Chesterton's The Everlasting Man. And it's brilliant. And I'm, going, and it's, I'm reading it going, like, okay, this ought to be required. If you've got a kid that is going, evolution is real, this is real, make him read The Everlasting Man. Make him read it. Because Chesterton just destroys it, as only Chesterton can. And I know you love Chesterton. Is that the book where he, is that the book where he talks about the cave, the cave drawings yes, so it, much? It yeah, starts okay, off, I, the, I first, the first chapter is The Cave. 
That's where yeah, I, I, I have read it. It's a good, it's a great book. Uh, so available in the Founders Trading Post now. Another one I went out and got for all of you. I went out and found because some of you suggested it. It's in the Founders Trading Post. The Everlasting Man. Get it. All right, brother. Uh, brother Andre and I are discussing the feast of the uh, Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, on, uh, on this day. Uh, brother, we, we've heard from Saint Augustine and uh, some other uh, and Saint Jerome uh, on, on, on the subject. What is you, you mentioned Mass today? What is church, what is Holy? Uh, what does the Catholic Church teach us about this on this day? Or did you already cover it? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty simple, Mike. I mean, it, it's it's basically just the mystery of the incarnation. Okay. I mean, we have to realize Mariology flows from Christology, because Our Lady's chosen role is to be the mother, to be the Theotokos. All of Our Lady's titles, we know this from theology, from this from the from the tract of Mariology. Uh, Our Lady's greatest title is Theotokos, the 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 Sancta Dei Genetrix, as we say in Latin. She's the the God bearer, huh? Or Mother of God. So that's Greek. Um, Theotokos. Theotokos is Greek. Sancta Dei Genetrix is is a virtual um, translation of that. Dei Genetrix is a translation from from Greek into Latin. Bearer of God. You know, uh, generator of God, if you will, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, but we call her in Latin Mater Dei, and in Greek Mater Theu, which means Mother of God. So she's the Mother of God. She bore him, uh, and therefore he has a human lineage. He has a he has a human nature. So when we contemplate an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we are in a sense contemplating. We are no, not in a sense. In in every sense, contemplating the source of our Lord's sacred humanity. Uh, and Our Lady wasn't just some uh, tool that was used like the ignorant or, I should say, uh, unintelligent wood of the cross, uh, the irrational or non-rational wood of the cross, but Our Lady was a rational, willing instrument uh, to at the service of the Trinity in our redemption, right? she's So sh- she with her intellect and will was fully engaged. And this is where many of our separated brethren go wrong. Uh, you know, she wasn't just, just somebody who happens to be the one there's a, there's a, there's a uniqueness about her. There's a, there's yeah, something they, special about her. This is why she's saluted by the angel with words that nobody else ever heard. Never hail thou who art filled with grace. Nobody ever heard that before. So it wasn't like the angels, um, uh, Gabriel and Michael and Raphael, where the archangels were sitting in heaven and drew straws to, <laughs> to see each one with the Jewish uh, Jewish virgin's name on it. All right, who did you get? All right, I got Mary. Okay, it's going to be Mary. Uh, or is it like I like to say uh, kind of humorously? It wasn't like uh, they were la- they, they were lounging around in heaven and one day God was bored and went, you know what, let's, take, let's make today the incarnation. Hey, Gabriel, what you doing? Uh, the, 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 to, to, and it's all done to diminish Our Lady's role. And brother, remember the, the Sancta Genetrix, at the end of the Salve Regina, if you say in Latin, you get that, or Pernobi Sancta Dei Genetrix, and then the response is, Udigni Eficharma Permissionibus Christi. So when Protestants say, you pray, you pray to Mary, well, in the Salve Regina, we honor her, and you venerate her, but Christ is there. He's in the prayer and he's in the response. 
Yeah, our Lord is the new Solomon, and our Lord says of himself, there is a greater than Solomon here, right? He's, he's, he, he contrasts himself with Solomon at one point in the gospel, and he says, there is a greater than Solomon here. Talking about himself, he's the greater than Solomon. Well, there was a point in the career of Solomon when he was reigning gloriously as king of Israel, and his mother went to go ask a favor for somebody. And nobody, but nobody, was supposed to walk into the court while the king was busy with his with his work. His mother walked in, and there was this scene like you know, like like you know, like like the bad guy pushing open the door of the of the of the bar of the saloon in a western. You know, everybody turns around like, oh, it's bad Bart. You know, something happened. Everybody looks. And Solomon takes his scepter and tips it to Our Lady, to, to excuse me, to his mother. I just blew the typology. He he tips his scepter to <laughs> his mother, and he says, "Ask me, mother, anything, for I cannot deny you anything." This is Solomon, who is explicitly in the Old and New Testaments referred to as a type of our Lord, explicitly. The, his he is the Prince of Peace. That's what Shlomo means in in Hebrew. Um, he is the he is the literal son of David, who is a type of the uh, son of David, who is our Lord, the Messiah. The very office of the Messiah was attached to the term son of David. Hosanna to the son of David, as they say on Palm Sunday, right? Solomon was the son of David, literally, literally biologically, immediately. So, our Lord is greater than Solomon. His mother's perfect. His mother was willing, right? Right. His mother was. His mother pondered. We know from Saint Luke twice in the Gospel it says she pondered these words and, and kept them in her heart. So she pondered the word of God and kept it in her heart, in her immaculate heart. And she, when she asks him, the true Solomon in the court of highest heaven, to pray for us. When, when she goes to ask him things, he tips his scepter to her and he says, ask me, mother, anything, for I can deny you nothing. Now, the Protestants who might hear me speaking, who know their Bibles and who know the Old Testament, they might say, yeah, but Solomon didn't give her what she wanted. And that's true. But our Lord is a greater than Solomon. Greater than and Solomon. Solomon was not shown as being a particularly good man when he did that either. So, so he wasn't true to his word. He was lacking magnanimity. Among other things, yes. <laughs> uh, fidelity, among other things. Brother Andre Marie. Yeah, well, yeah, the <clears throat> 300 wives and 700 cucumber vines were kind of a problem, as, <laughs> as the little kid said about, about his catechism lesson. We just learned today, Daddy, that there, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 cucumber vines. Concubines, <laughs> the cucumber vine. That's kind of like extra, extra, uh, extra eclairs on my uh, Nutella salad. Nutella salad. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Andre Marie, the Saint Benedict Center, and uh, my co-host on this uh, Wisdom Wednesday, as he is every Wisdom Wednesday. Uh, we are blessed today that Wisdom Wednesday falls on the eighth of September, which is the feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, if you want an inside look at the at the young life, especially those of you that may have questions about this, and are going like, well, you know, brother, I'm not really trying to be disrespectful to the BVM, but you know, it's growing up as a Pentecostal or a Lutheran or whatever. I just never was taught it, so it just kind of sounds not familiar to me. I heavily and heartily suggest. Get James, uh, uh, Dr. Hess's book in our Founders Trading Post, 
Mary of Nazareth. Get the, and the companion book is easily as good. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. But get Mary of Nazareth. It's awesome. It's a wonderful biography, basically, uh, the life and times of Mary of Nazareth. Brother, uh, we're going to run out of time here, but I, I wanted to pass one more thing along to you. I don't think I told you this uh, last Wednesday because I had a lot of stuff on my mind. Uh, uh, two Sundays ago, and I'm trying to remember what the uh, feast was. I think it was the Assumption. Uh, when I was at Mass for the Assumption, Father Damien, uh, our priest, and he has, I don't know how we got him, but he has just hundreds upon hundreds of relics. You you walk into his office and you just feel this glow. <laughs> There's relics. <laughs> there. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, there, there may be 500 of them in there. That's where I got my St. Augustine relic. He had, he brought to us in this beautiful, beautiful reliquary, almost kind of like a, like a mini monstrance. And he says, and I have a special treat for all of you today. He goes, I have actually brought with me uh, a relic of Our Lady's veil. And he said that the veil, and then he gave an explanation of what the girdle is, what it used to be, not what we think it is today. He said that those are extant. They have them in Rome. And he had a, he had a relic of it. I mean, in a reliquary. So we all got to go and touch uh, rosaries and chaplets to it, what have you here. Um, and it was just a, 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 a thrill, a, a spiritual thrill, uh, as I approached that, knowing that I was going to touch the, uh, the the rosary to it, um, that that there are relics of Our Lady that exist. And then I thought, wait a minute. In my talk last year at the St. Benedict Center, I revealed to those that didn't know, including me, because prior to me researching it, I didn't know that the wedding ring of St. Joseph also exists, is extant. Um, and you can find it at that little chapel in Italy that I referenced. Um, Neat. It, it is. Just, Go ahead. I, I just dropped a, uh, an image in the uh, in the chat room of the protecting veil of the Mother of God. This is a very common Eastern icon. It's it's in in Greek and apparently also in Russian uh, or Slavonic. Anyway, the word for there's a, there's a cool ambiguity in the word for veil, such as a veil a woman wears. It means both protection and veil. And, the, and, and, and in our Eastern brethren, both Orthodox and uh, Catholic Uniate, celebrate a feast of, for the, the protection of the Mother of God. In fact, you'll see churches and monasteries called the protection of the Mother of God. The protection there is the veil. It's the same thing. Sometimes they say protecting veil mm. in English, but the protection is the veil. And it goes back to a time when the city of Constantinople was under siege uh, by, of all people, the Russians, who at that point were pagans, and they were besieging the city of Constantinople, and there was this holy fool who uh, the people fled to and said, what do we do? And he was in the church, I think it was the Church of the Blacarne, which is one of the churches in, in uh, Constantinople, and he saw this vision of the, the Blessed Virgin coming over the city and extending her veil to cover the entire city to protect it. And um, the Russians turned back. So <laughs> later on, the the irony is later on the Russians would be converted by Saint Central Methodius, and they would have a devotion to the protecting veil of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is a big thing in Russia. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. The veil, the veil a, is a is a very important concept in Eastern Christendom. That's a beautiful icon. 
It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It you is. You can find others like it. Some of them show the whole city under her. And I forget the name of the holy fool. He was a he's a saint. Uh, and he's revered as a saint. Um and and it shows it usually shows him, you know, in supplication. But in, in the Eastern Church's holy fool is a kind of uh Almost like St. Francis, not quite. St. Francis of Assisi wasn't a holy fool, but there are some uh, Western saints who roughly approximate the Eastern concept of a holy fool. All right, Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center uh, on our uh, Skype Maker Hotline here with us on the Feast of the uh, Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And as Brother Andre said, this is a very ancient, ancient feast. You've got St. Jerome and St. Augustine writing about it like it's something that, well, yeah, of course I wrote about it, a sermon on it. Everybody knows it. Uh, it just kind of, uh, uh, it under, it seriously undermines it as if you need to seriously undermine it. It seriously undermines this fatuous argument that we hear that uh, uh, devotion and veneration of the mother of our Lord is something of a rather modern creation meant to, to combat the uh, the rise and the the uh, whatever it is that they say the the rise uh, of Protestantism um, that that's just not true and also there's a little tiny piece of papyrus that uh, you can also look up they I, I don't I I forget where it's actually exhibited at but you can't see it it is uh, part of a prayer called the sub tuum and the sub tuum is one of is one of the most uh, oldest prayers just just prayers of Christianity. It is a Marian prayer, and it's a, it's a plea to the mother of our Lord for intercession. And the soup tuum was discovered, I can't remember, sometime in the 20s or 30s? It was pretty recent. That, yeah, uh, on, uh, well... The extant part, it was, no, the prayer was already known, but the, the piece of the papyrus is, I, I want to say that it's in the last hundred years it was discovered. I okay, I you got me there, Mike. Just I'm, not, to, I'm oh, not certain of that. Okay, but it does exist. It is extant, as they say. Uh, I can sing the chant. It's 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 a beautiful. There's a beautiful Gregorian chant melody uh, for it. Well, I'll let you sing in just a minute, but let me just finish. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not volunteering to. I'm just saying it's it's a gorgeous piece of chant. Our sisters sing it beautifully. They they date that papyrus to the second century. So wow. uh, that papyrus is, de is dated to the late second century. Um, the fact that it still exists, kind of like the uh, St. Juan Diego's tilma, which should have crumbled into dust by now. The fact that the til tilma still exists and it is beautiful and as vibrant as it is. Uh, these are holy relics, folks. Um, and they're holy for so many different reasons, but... Uh, they defy, they are miraculous in and of themselves. They defy time. And there was an ecumenical council that defended relics against uh, people back in that day, back in that time in, in the eighth century who were attacking relics. So the second council of Nicaea in 787 defended relics and holy icons against heretics. So was that an iconoclasm then? The heresy of iconoclasm. Yeah, it extended not only to icons and and and, and two-dimensional, three-dimensional images, but also to relics, the cult of relics, yes. Brother, um, uh, talk a little bit about uh, what tonight's episode of Reconquest is all about. Uh, tonight's episode I called um, the w What is Prudence? 
And um, so I'm, it, it, it's got a heavy dose of Yosef Pieper in it. Um, and it, this is uh, episode number 294. It's a solo show. Uh, so it, um, it's kind of a little bit of a prequel to my conference talk, a, a little bit. It's just it'll it'll overlap maybe slightly with what I'm saying at the conference, but I'm do I'm doing a two-parter on prudence, and the two-parter might be interrupted by an, 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 a reconquest that I'm going to do with Sister Maria Philomena one of these weeks. So the book that you're speaking of, uh, that you're speaking of, Joseph Piper's or Peepers rather, uh, the four cardinal virtues, which I hold here in my currently nicotine-stained fingers, is <laughs> I am a cigar maven after all. Um, yes. We have it in the founders training, but as a matter of fact, brother, you'll be happy to know you're a good salesman. We're sold out of the first batch. Oh, good for you. So I will order another batch, and I'll have a nice little account with the University of Notre Dame Press. They were very, very friendly to me um, and uh, got me expedited and everything. So thankful that we have Peeper's book and anything else that the University of Notre Dame Press puts out, uh, we would then have access to to add to the library at uh, chop.mikechurch.com. Uh, so that's two editions this month alone. So you, you you got Chatterton's Everlasting Man and Joseph Pieper's The Four Cardinal Virtues book. Now I can see now that I have the book why it would take a little bit of time to read it because I started thumbing through it. The text is like nine point. <laughs> it's very small. Um, oh yeah. yeah. And, and oh, by the, the way, I'm fi I'm finished it now. Okay. Oh, have you? Yeah, I, I finished it uh, last week. It's. It, but it's the kind of book you don't just read it like a novel. You got to go back and reread stuff. And I read the whole first quarter of the book two times in toto, but then certain paragraphs I've read maybe a dozen times. So it's 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 that kind of book. Well, I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that has to read paragraphs five times to get them. Or, or ten times you're like, okay, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I, I'm not sure I got that. Uh, to know, tonight's episode of Reconquest, again, you can find it uh, a little after 8 p.m. on the uh, Central Time on the Crusade Channel website. It'll be published and you can download it to your heart's content and also on the content app. Brother, uh... Did you announced last week, I believe, that David Simpson said he was coming to the St. Benedict Center Conference? Y yes, I did. Uh, this is big news. So you have um, you have John Sharp, who you guys have never heard. John, You know what? If you go back to the early days of the Crusade Channel, I interviewed John Sharp three times. David interviewed him once um, about distributism. And because uh, he's one of, uh, in addition to uh, to Pierce and Alquist and a few other uh, select uh, scholars, uh, and Sharp's not a scholar; he's a Navy guy. But uh, John Sharp, oh, he, oh, he's he's a scholar. I, I I I meant that as a little jab at the Navy. Yeah, people. yeah. Well, he's 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 uh, he's this close to a doctorate. I mean, he's he, done all of his coursework for a doctorate, and he he got denied because. Uh, because the the creeps at the college told the university told them that when they read about him in the Southern Poverty Law Center, they found out that he was a hate monger and they couldn't <laughs> have him a Serious. He also Crazy. successfully sued the United States Navy. Yeah, and they did and got reinstated. And, so and went from being a lieutenant commander to a full commander to a com in the process. Uh, so you've never heard John Sharp uh, speak. He knows distributism or the economics, if you will. I just call it the economics of Christendom. Uh, you don't have to have Chesterton 
and Belloc in there to know what the what, what uh, Christian ethics are or what Catholic ethics are when it comes to monetary uh, to monetary policy, if you will, and to things like usury. And uh, to, to, to things that uh, we talk about every Free Farm Friday, we're talking about basically Catholic ethics. You're talking about the ethics of Christendom, and um, and about how uh, there's just so much you could you could talk about. So I'm actually looking forward to this. Is he Friday or Saturday? Um, you know what, Dern? I okay. So I don't have immediate access to it. I'm not going to sit here and dig up the schedule that brother gave me. But um. Uh, you know yeah, what? Don't give fun. it out, brother. Make them go to the site and find it. That way, they got to yeah, buy a ticket while they're there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> In, entrapment for the win. We'll set it. We'll set it up so that when they click on the link to look at what time we talk, they they it takes their their credit card out of their wallet and makes them buy a ticket. <laughs> it just it just pops up a check a checkout window. There's technology uh, for that. You uh, know. Technology for that. So uh, go to Catholicism.org. That's Catholicism.org. And um, it's David Lang, right? The, Dr. David Lang. Oh, yeah. yeah he's awesome. The, the, the metaphysician who can play a room. He's yeah, great. Dude, he is uh, He is. Uh, uh, and you wouldn't think it. You're like, oh, this guy looks like a nerd. <laughs> this guy looks well, like a, a boring well, bookworm nerd. He's he's kind of a nutty professor type. He's he the, is the the, the the distracted. You know he he's he he's too busy to do stuff like make sure his ties on straight and things like that. Yeah, so but he, brother, he's, once he's thinking, once he started talking, though, no one cared. I know. No, it's <laughs> great. It, it's he's a very lovable man, and he's an absolute genius. Um, but yeah, he, I'm looking forward to having him. Boy, the intellectual more. firepower. If he just got rid of me and replaced me with someone that really had some intellectual creds, you got Simpson, <laughs> you got Sharp, you, you have Lang, you have you, you have Joe Doyle. I mean, wow, what a lineup. What a lineup. There ought, there ought to be, you, you ought to have to pipe video into the, into the, into the dinner tent for the overflow this year. <laughs> so, Mike, did you get speaking of uh, uh, plugging the conference and you're doing a masterful job at it? Uh, did you get my commercial spot? My third. I seconds? did, but today yeah, is okay, the first good. day we have uh, production. So right. uh, today is the day that we shall get it up and on the air. So uh, I uh, look forward to seeing all of you there uh, on October the eighth and the ninth. And as an added bonus, brother told us this morning, uh, we will have daily mass. That's fantastic. Um, and much looking forward to that. And it's just a beautiful time of year and to be in, in, in New England, in New Hampshire, uh, to, uh, for the foliage and all that sort of stuff. Brother, I got to run because I want to finish up this uh, Joy Pullman uh, piece about uh, Shamazon for a bit. By, by the way, brother, try to find your way to the Crusade Channel tomorrow during the 8 a.m. hour. I have one of your favorite guests, Lori Calhoun, will be back. Oh, okay. Nice. The, the, she's the libertarian lady. That, she is. Um, that that's so good on the on the me, me, medical military complex. Is that it? Is that she, what she calls it? Well, uh, the well, the we kill because we can complex. Um, yeah. She's also. I think she, I think she wrote an article on the media on, on the medical military complex. Oh yeah. Playing off of the the military industrial complex. She's also really good on the Corona Doom. And uh, the fact I know I heard her. I heard her. The, the well, fact if I make it back in time after mass, I'll 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 click it and, and give a listen. Of course, we will record it. Yeah, for playback. 
for members later. Uh, brother, thank you very much. Uh, we shall uh, see you soon. A happy and blessed feast day. Uh, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary to you and all of uh, yours at the St. Benedict Center. And uh, God willing, we uh, shall talk to you next week, if not sooner. All right, Mike. God bless and God bless all our listeners. All right. Thank you very much. It's Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center. All Visdom Vinze episodes are free of charge to the world. We'll talk to you next week, if not sooner. All right, Mike. God bless and God bless all our listeners. All right. Thank you very much. It's Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center. All Visdom Vinze episodes are free of charge to the world.